Golden State Warriors basketball. Shoots over Danny Green. Rainbow! Nothing but net! How did he do it? The fifth three-point shot of the night for Steph Curry. This is Warriors Roundtable with the voice of the Warriors, Tim Roy. Over the shoulder, pass to Harris. He'll drive on Green on Green, finds the cutter to the rim. Popping his block inside. Oh, Spades says not on my watch. Barnes shows the ball, won't shoot. Draymond, the Curry, fakes. Dribbled by Harris. Foul line, backs up. Rainbow fade away. You've got to be kidding me. Ridiculous by Steph Curry. Some of the highlights from an 18 to nothing run in over two minutes of court time last night. The Splash Brothers were outstanding during this run, and it basically put the ball game away as the Warriors knocked off the Orlando Magic. And once again, 17 games above 500 at 43 and 36. Hi, everyone. I'm Tim Roy. And once again, I invite you to take a seat around the roundtable. It's the Warriors Weekly Roundtable here on KBR 680, the sports leader. Coming up on tonight's show, later on, Howard Beck of the Bleacher Report will discuss all things New York as the Knicks have hired Phil Jackson as team president. But I'll also ask him about the mindset of Kobe Bryant, a player that he has covered up close for a number of years, and also about the Warriors and why some people refuse to believe the Warriors are a defensive team. I'll answer your questions on Warriors Vox on Twitter. That's Warriors V-O-X. We'll find out what the Warriors are doing lately off the floor to make the Bay Area an even better place to live. But first up on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable, a conversation with our outstanding center, Andrew Bogan. He'll join us to talk about protecting the rim and why it's so important to take care of your body off the floor so you can play your best on the floor. That's Andrew Bogan, and he's coming up in just a moment. The Warriors and Lucky, though, want to see pictures of food that you cook. Post a photo on Twitter or Instagram with the hashtag EatLikeWarriors. And it's a chance to win Warriors tickets, plus the chance to be featured in an upcoming Eat Like Warriors cooking segment with a Warriors player. For more information and contest rules, go to Warriors.com slash Lucky. Andrew Bogut will join me when we continue on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable on KMBR 680, the sports leader. Golden State Warriors basketball. Lee wrestles away the rebound, leads a three-on-two, finds Bogut running the floor, and he throws it down with two hands. We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable. Up top to Alec Burks. Boy, Cantor and Bogut really going out of downstairs. Alec Burks to Hayward. Pressure by Curry. Now Hayward, free pass. Blocked by Bogut. He blocked the dunk attempt. He knocked it away and then grabbed the ball the way down and got it over to Crawford. My goodness. Andrew Bogut with a tremendous rejection. Hi, Tim Roy. The Warriors Weekly Roundtable continues. And a pleasure to welcome in the starting center for the Golden State Warriors. That is Andrew Bogut. And Andrew, I'll get this question out of the way first. Uh, how's how's that ankle? Uh, it's it's not too bad. It's just um, you know a little bit of a little bit of fluid. You know, I had a little tweak. Um, I was actually playing through it the last week or so. It was pretty sore and um, did it against Portland. So I don't anticipate it being much longer. Um, still day to day, and you know hopefully be back sooner than later. You know, you, you mentioned about the uh, the the wear and tear of a schedule on an NBA body. You know, what what what's that like? I mean, in, in terms of when when you're not fighting off an injury, what kind of things do you do to try to keep your body as 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 high performance as you can? Well, it's tough. Um, you know, there's no secret that I've had some horrendous injuries in the past. So the things I have to do on a daily basis are much more than than a regular guy that hasn't had injuries. So. Um, it's it's a long enduring season. Ice massage, um, stem, 
you know, ultrasound, extra stretching, um, and just just getting rest is important too. You know, when you go home and you're on the road, sometimes it's, it's just good to go back to your hotel room or your, or your house and just literally sit on the couch and just not do anything, put your feet up, um, rather than trying to stay on your legs all day. It's kind of a full time job just to get ready for your full time job. It is, and that's that's you know obviously we're very well compensated for it, but that's what a lot of people don't see. You know, there's a lot of average, average Joes that think you know. Um, I go to 24 Hour Fitness and I play for two hours, and that's kind of what we do. We just we just come come to Oracle, play for a couple of hours. You know, the next day we have a throw a couple of shots up at practice and go home. It's 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 the complete opposite to to athletes. You know, you're, you're basically maintaining your body, getting rest, and doing smart things. What you eat, you know, you got to watch what you eat the night before a game. You got to get the right amount of sleep. You got to have the afternoon nap. You know, so there's a there's a routine. It's basically a 24 hour job. Andrew Bogut's our guest on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. Line Tim Roy. Uh, Andrew, coming out of the All-Star break, the club is 12-4. and four. Only San Antonio has that many wins coming out of the break. Is this as good as this club can play, or is there still more to get? No, we still think there's more more ceiling for us. We think we've played well, but we've still had spurts in games um, where we've been we've been horrendous. You know, Portland. I think the first half for us was awful, and we managed to scrape a win out, which is a great sign. But at the same time, um, we know that we can play better, which is which is a pretty dangerous thing. So if, if we just keep keep ourselves accountable, which we've got a group that doesn't mind calling each other out in the locker room and so on and so forth, um, we'll be okay. How important is that? How important is it to, to to be able to hold someone accountable in the locker room and know that they're going to take it in a constructive way? Well, it's, it's you got to be careful with it. You know, just different guys respond differently to, to, you know, some people you can arc up at and yell and scream and some people you got to say it in a you got to kind of measure how you say it. Um, so you got to kind of know that as a leader of the team. And um, generally, we have we have some tough-minded guys who can take criticism, but there, there definitely is different guys you can talk. You got to talk to in different ways. Andrew, when when you uh, assume uh, that kind of a role, uh, I mean, is that a, is that a process? You know, do you have to learn? Say you have new players this year. Do you have to learn how Andre Iguodala reacts to certain situations? Is that something you learn over the course of a season? Yeah, that's that's huge. You got to know guys' personalities and know you know. There's there's players, types of coach as well. When you're coaching a team, you know, um, some guys you got to know which guys on the team respond well to. You know, you can you can get get up right in them and say you know, <laughs> drop a couple of you know swear words, whatever it is, yell and scream, and you know that they're gonna they're gonna take that personally and respond. Then on the flip side, you got guys if you do that too, and they kind of go on their shell and shut down. So you got to kind of know, you know, what, what different personalities on the team are. It, it creates a whole different dynamic, and that's why being a head coach and being a leader on a team, you know, you got to you got to know these things. It's funny, you know, years ago, Cotton Fitzsimmons, the great uh, former head coach, of the late great former head coach of the Phoenix Suns, I asked him why uh, one day we were able to watch a little bit of practice. I said, why were you uh, yelling at this one particular player? Because I know he can take it. And he says, so while I'm yelling at him, I'm yelling at the team, actually. So, But I know he's not going to take it personally. He knows what's going on. And it's like, I thought, oh, that's you, know, you really have to know your team to be able to get away with that. You do. And then sometimes the flip side of it is it feels like one guy can feel like he's getting picked on, you know, so that's that's the difference. Like, if you've got one guy that can take all the criticism, you know he's going to respond well, but then all of a sudden, every every time you yell and scream, it's at that one guy because you know that he's going to respond well. <laughs> then that player can eventually say, can you yell at somebody else? You know, so it's a, it's a fine line. You know, that's how it goes. Andrew Bogut's our guest on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. You mentioned uh, rest and, and all the things you're doing when you're away from the basketball floor. Uh, what kind of things, you know, when you have time to, to get out and about, what kind of things do you like to do? I do, do a mix of things. Um, I like to collect uh, muscle muscle cars and classic cars. That's kind of my thing. So 
spent a lot of time online chasing certain cars that I'm still looking for and um, you know I really like to dabble in that and then you know my other pastime is, is Texas Holden poker I'm still still trying to get better at it but um, that's that's something I've, I've been I've been doing you know the last four or five years if memory serves going back to way back on media day uh, I think it was late September and you were talking with Jim Barnett and I was standing nearby I think you said you were looking for for a Shelby correct correct yes found one yes you did you found one yes I have yes I found one so um, yeah, they're, they're, they're tough cars to find in good condition. Um, you know, they're definitely a, an honor to drive. And, and explain looking and making sure you have that car, because if I remember, you also said that you had to be a little wary. You had to really do your research because some people were trying to sell cars that maybe weren't exactly what they said they were. Yeah, it's a, it's a rough market. Um, classic cars uh, really bring out the snakes and the sharks um, because, you know, I try to I try to buy original cars that are numbers matching or, or as original as possible. Whether they're a stored original, which means, you know, the the the, the motors numbers matching to that car of how it came out in, in let's say 1969 or 67 or 68. But a lot of people will try to try to manipulate that and put numbers on a different motor and make it appear that it's original because it drives the value up. You know, numbers matching Shelby can go anywhere from. 110 to 200 thousand um, dollars. A non-numbers matching Shelby, just a regular look-alike Shelby, will go for 50, 60. So you can see how people will try to cheat it. Yeah, that's that's, that's very interesting. And I, I don't want you to, to to say how many, but this is a, this is a, a passion for you, right? You work on these cars, you refurbish these cars, correct? Uh, somewhat, yeah. I don't I don't do a lot of it personally. Um, just don't have the time and any expertise. But that's something I'm going to try to pick up when I when I uh, when I'm done with the game and try to spend some double some time in it. But my dad's a mechanic, uh, or was a mechanic by trade. He's retired now, so uh, we tend to have a little bit of fun with it. Yes. Uh, that that sounds like a great uh, a great pastime. You know, Cleveland was just a town, and, and I don't want to bring up the game, but I talked to in the locker room to Matthew Delvadova before the game, and he, he said that you kind of reached out, gave him a couple of tips of, of the NBA. Uh, the NBA is truly a worldwide game now. You know, players are coming from everywhere to play in the NBA. But talk about the emergence of guys like Del Vadova and and a guy I think has has just gotten so much better from when he first got to the NBA floor, and that's uh, Patty Mills of San Antonio. Yeah, it's it's definitely getting there for us, for Australia, and just the world in general. Um, Delhi's a, a great story just because because of the process that he's took. Um, you know, going undrafted and 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 basically, you know. No one even knew if he was going to be on an NBA roster come come uh, first day of the season, and, and everyone's saying he was just training camp fodder, and, and he's fought and battled his way to a roster spot, which is absolutely um, commendable on his behalf. And he's a great kid; doesn't have a, a bad bone in his body. Um, yeah, he does is. all the right things, plays his role. You look at the way he affects the game as a guard without without huge numbers is amazing. His plus minus is off the charts, I believe, this year, and he's one of the one of the few um, bright lights on that Cleveland team for the whole season. You know, he's, he's, he's had DNPs, he's played 40 minutes, and, and he doesn't complain. So um, Paddy's obviously a similar similar product of, of Delver Dover. He got drafted but very late, and then he's, he's been a little bit of a guy that hasn't played a lot early with Portland and then ended up San Antonio, didn't play a lot, and this season he's finally um, got a chance to play, and he's, he's lighting it up off the bench. Unfair question here, but I'm going to ask it anyway because uh, I know you're over here. But did you? What do you know about this kid that, that they're touting in the draft? I think it's is it Dante, Dante Exum? Is that yeah. he? Yeah. What? Um, I know I know a little bit about him. Um, you know, he's 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 supposed to be one of the best players come out of Australia that we'll probably ever have, and he's a you know two three combo can play a bit of point, I believe. Um, wiry body, athletic, a very high basketball IQ. Um, you know, the question for him is, and that a lot of people are, a lot of people are asking is. 
um, who has he played against in the last year, and that's that's going to be the thing that he's got to prove and put those skeptics aside. He hasn't really played against any competition since the under nineteen World Championships, and and even so, that was under nineteen. So now it's a, it's a big step to go from no college, no pro experience. You go on basically from from high school in Australia to to the NBA. Um, uh, he's got a big job. Uh, Andrew Bogut, our guest on Tim Roy, and, and of course, for those who may not know, Dante Exum is a guy that's going to be coming out in this, this draft, and the even Draft Express has him ranked as high as number five uh, overall, so a six six guard to keep an eye on as we head toward our coverage of the draft. And Andrew, you're an Australian Rules football fan, correct? Yep, sure am. Tell me, uh, uh, you have uh, friends who play in the league, because that looks brutal. That looks like it's an absolute war out there. Yeah, it's a tough game. I think it's, you know, without, it sounds biased, obviously, but... Um, I think it's the toughest game in the world. It's a, it's it's a full contact, um, no line of scrimmage game. We can get hit from all angles. Um, they play about. It ends up being about thirty minute quarters, clock running four quarters. Um, it's just absolutely brutal, and they only play once a week for the fact that they can't play every other day because there just be no guys left on the field. Um, but it's something that that's part of Australian culture, especially my city, Melbourne. That's that's where the game was was started and and kind of founded, and and it's just it's just great to go home and watch the games. Yeah, I was watching uh, an interview the other day with uh, I think it was a Draymond, and you, you mentioned about you you're asking about the, whether or not the University of Melbourne was in the bracket for the <laughs> for March Madness. I was <laughs> oh, making fun, you know. I'm not. Uh, I love the University of Utah, but I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of the NCAA and the way it conducts conducts its business. So I try not to. I support the school, but I don't support the NCAA. So. Um, you know, my my <laughs> he was giving me crap because Utah didn't make the bracket, and I was I was kind of throwing one back at him. And we'll save the NCAA discussion for another show yeah, at another will. time. Definitely. Let's uh, talk about this this final stretch here of games uh, for the Warriors, and, and the, you guys are playing so well right now, and, and you're third best in the league protecting the rim. You're, you're shooting over 60%. You and David Lee are combining over nine rebounds uh, a game each, and the Warriors haven't had a tandem like that since 80 and 81. A lot of good things happening out there. In your mind, how do you want to see this club finish, and, and what do you have to do to ensure that going at a high level come the third week of April? Well, just get going. I mean, the last the last couple of weeks are, are important because you, you want to rest guys, but at the same time you want to, you want to keep your rhythm and, and keep it rolling if you're winning games. So I think we'll, we'll do that. Um, but, you know, goal for us is to go is, you know, we want to, we want to try and get to the conference finals and, and build from that. Um, we, we made the second round last year and we thought we were close to getting to, to, to the next round and that's probably the immediate goal for us and then obviously one day getting a championship. But, um, you know, what I stress is it does, these things don't happen overnight. They, they take time and they're, they're a process with themselves. Yeah, it's interesting uh, to think about that. Even the teams that get to the finals, there's even a learning curve in the NBA finals, which I think a lot of people uh, don't understand. Andrew, thank you so much for your, your time today, and uh, and best of luck as you head toward the end of the season. It, it promises to be a lot of fun. All right, no worries. Thanks for having me. That's Warriors center Andrew Bogan. I'm Tim Roy. The Warriors Weekly Roundtable continues. We'll find out how Golden State continues to contribute off the floor to make the Bay Area an even better place to live. But first, a reminder that you can see the Warriors take on the Milwaukee Bucks tomorrow, March 20th. Arrive early. The first 10,000 fans receive a water bottle and a free smoothie coupon courtesy of Jamba Juice. Go to warriors.com slash dynamic deal to take advantage of this special ticket offer. We'll continue with the roundtable here on KMBR 680, the sports leader. Uh, 
it goes oh. up and it over Duncan. <laughs> Elevation sensation for Harrison Barnes. Golden State Warriors basketball. We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable. We continue on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. Our, our thanks to Andrew Bogut again for an interesting conversation. Warriors and Bucks tomorrow night. News of the day. The Golden State Warriors have reassigned guard Nemanja Nedovic and center Onion Kuzmich to the Santa Cruz Warriors. Both players playing in the game against Orlando last night. So both are heading back now to Santa Cruz for some more work. On this show, we tend to highlight what the Warriors are doing off the floor to make the Bay Area an even better place to live. Recently, the Warriors went to Oakland Technical School to reward an unsuspecting student for their good grades and good attendance to help that student head toward their goal of higher education. This year, the Golden State Warriors are proud to announce Aaliyah Douglas as their representative to the 2014 Bay Area All-Star Scholarship Program. My name is Aaliyah Douglas. I am a senior at Oakland Technical High School. I'm in the Engineering Academy, so that consists of doing descriptive geometry, engineering principles, honors physics, and then I'm also in the Paideia program, so that's like an accelerated English history program, and then I'm in AP Physics now, so that's kind of getting me ready for engineering in college. I was really surprised. I didn't really know what they were here for. Just saw them in the corner and didn't really figure what they would be here to do, but it was a big surprise when I learned what happened. Aaliyah has just accomplished so many different things in terms of incredible uh, commitment to her community. It's not she doesn't stop at the at her books. She extends that to the world around her, and in and in this idea that she's going to go and try to make our world a better place, it is just why well, we just speechless with how wonderful that is. Golden State Warriors basketball. Splash another one. Steph Curry from distance, his seventh three-pointer of the game. We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable. Warriors Bucks. Time now to answer your questions on the Warriors Vox on Twitter. That's Warriors V-O-X. Or you can send me an email at TimRoy, T-I-M-R-O-Y-E, at Warriors.com. Always a pleasure to talk with you, the fans. And the QUI Tennis wants to know, is a 50-win season the goal now? Well, I don't think there's an actual number. I think they would love to get to 50 wins. I think that would be a goal they would have in terms of sort of, not the primary goal, but but one of the goals to get a 50-win season. It's certainly a benchmark in the NBA. But I think the best goal right now is to have this club playing at a very high level heading into the postseason so that they can get past uh, the first round, get to the second round, and maybe get to the Western Conference Championship, and then all bets are off. Now, one of the things to keep in mind with the Warriors, and we'll discuss this with Howard Beck later on in the show, is the fact that this team is a good defensive team. So third best in, d- in the Hollinger defensive ratings on ESPN.com. And what that means is that 
that defense will keep them in games on the road when they're not playing well in the offensive end. And I think it's going to give them a really good chance of getting out of the first round. You know, as I've said time and time again, the first round of the Western Conference playoffs, four good teams are going home. Four good NBA teams are going home at the end of the first round. So it's going to be tough, and you're going to have to play defense to win. So, again, to round up your uh, the answer to your question, QUI tennis, uh, QUI tennis, I should say, is a 50-win season the goal right now? I think it's one of the goals. It's kind of a minor goal. I think their best goal is to be playing good basketball in the third week of April and take their chances in round number one. This on 11 wants to know the Warriors are winning, so why all the hate RE Coach Jackson? A really good question. Uh, I don't think he gets nearly enough credit from the defensive end of how good a defensive team this is, especially when you consider what the Warriors were like when he arrived. Now, granted, you have you start with three excellent defensive players in the starting five in Andrew Bogut, Andre Iguodala, and Clay Thompson. Draymond Green, excellent defensive player coming off the bench. So you have some pieces there. But just because you have the pieces doesn't mean they're going to play great defense. They play a great scheme. Their game plans are on point, And they, they really do a great job of locking up people on the perimeter. Look last night. Aaron Aflalo is averaging 19 points a game, almost 20 a night for the Orlando Magic. He was a non-factor in the game last night. A non-factor. So Coach Jackson should get a lot of credit uh, what the Warriors do on the defensive end. And uh, I agree with you. I think he's doing a fabulous job with this team right now. I think they have some struggles on the offensive end. And my own little personal theory is I think sometimes the game comes too easy for this team. They're such a good passing team that they give themselves great chances when they push the ball off the break and, and they get a stop. And I think sometimes... It just comes a little too easy, and I think they expect everything to come too easy. This team is at its best when it's playing some gritty basketball. Let's move on to Dave's not here, as uh, Mark Jackson referenced to his Popovich uh, reference in the postgame press conference last night, resting selected players. Wouldn't this be a good time to get Harrison Barnes a lot of play to get his mojo back? Well, first of all, I love the Cheech and Chong reference in, in Dave's not here. This is one of the great audio uh, comedy sketches of all time. Dave- Dave's not here! But secondly, I think uh, this is a perfect opportunity. This is a great two-game stretch now for Harrison Barnes. Andre Iguodala is out with the knee tendonitis problem, and this is a great chance for Harrison to get himself into a good rhythm heading into the postseason. He's had kind of an up-and-down year. He's had to learn how to come off the bench, which is, you know, you would think, okay, that everybody should know how to do that. But if you're a player who has spent your entire life starting and being the man on your high school team, being a star on your college team, I think learning how to play off the bench in the NBA is definitely a process. And I know we overuse that word sometimes, but it's definitely a learning curve. I think Harrison is trying to figure out how he needs to play coming off the bench. And sometimes I think he presses just a little bit too hard as opposed to letting the game come to him. So I think it's a great chance for Harrison Barnes to really have an opportunity to take use of those minutes and to improve the level of his play right now. Final question from Cesar. uh, Who would be the best matchup for the Warriors, Houston or Clippers, and why? That is a very good question. 
I think off the top of my head, I would say the Clippers, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Uh, the Warriors split the season series with the Clippers this year, and they won three of four last year. They seem to match up well, and I think they give the Clippers more problems with their front line than other teams do, because I think Andrew Bogut is a superb defender. You can put him on either DeAndre Jordan or Blake Griffin, so they can run multiple bodies at Blake Griffin. And I think also the fact that that they make the Clippers work hard on the defensive end. Uh, Chris Paul and, and the guard line for the Clippers can't rest on the defensive end because they're chasing Klay Thompson and Steph Curry all over the lot. So I think the Warriors, especially when they keep their turnovers down and keep the transition opportunities to a, a nil for the Clippers, I think they're a very good matchup. And for whatever reason, it seems on the other side, the Houston Rockets have been a matchup problem for the Golden State Warriors. And they've had some issues trying to handle guys like Chandler Parsons and James Harden and, and uh, Dwight Howard, obviously. Uh, I think the Warriors can beat either team in the first round. I don't think there's a matchup out there in the Western Conference where you can say it's an automatic move on to the second round even the one and the eight because if you're playing memphis say memphis finishes as the number eight team if you're playing memphis i think that's a team you don't want to play they have two guys that can throw the ball to in the box and score gasol and zach randolph and they play tough defense and they are a grinder type of a team i don't think you want to play them in the first round even san antonio who's had success with the grizzlies i don't really think they would want to play that hard of a a series in round number one. Thank you as always for your questions and your comments on Twitter at Warriors Vox, Warriors VOX. I'm Tim Roy. We'll continue with more of the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. Howard Beck of the Bleacher Report is up next to talk about the New York Knicks and the hiring of Phil Jackson. But first, now here's your chance to get on Warriors ground. Text for your chance to win a pair of Warriors tickets, courtesy of Coors Light, the world's most refreshing beer. Enter for your chance to win by texting Warriors14 to 839-863. That's Warriors14 to 839-863. We'll continue with the Warriors Weekly Roundtable after these words on KMBR 680, the sports leader. Golden State Warriors basketball. Left side, Bogut, touch pass to David Lee. Two-hand, rim-racker for Lee. We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable. Always happy to have Howard Beck on the line, a friend of Warriors Radio. He writes for the Bleacher Report, of course, and you've recognized his byline from around the NBA. And and Howard, uh, we had to bring you up this week because of the... uh, drama that's unfolding right in front of your eyes with the New York Knicks and Phil Jackson is now team president a long courtship to woo him to New York kind of go back and 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 when did this all start and why do you think this is so important to the Knicks well it's interesting we in the public view this started within the last couple of weeks but as it turns out we now all know it started in December when Irving Azoff, the uh, longtime music manager for the Eagles and entertainment mogul, brought together Phil Jackson and Jim Dolan, the owner of the Knicks, at Irving Azoff's home in L.A. And it was apparently very intentional. He saw you know, a, a possible partnership for these guys even before they did. And the discussion kind of evolved from there. And you know, the initial conversation, which apparently took about a, one second before it was over, was, would you coach? And Phil Jackson said no, um, and I'm not surprised at that. But it did evolve into an ongoing conversation about how to be involved potentially with the Knicks, and that has resulted in becoming the team president. So 
took a couple of months, took a, a lot of conversations, and then I think some probably getting to know each other and, and trying to establish some level of trust because Phil Jackson, uh, you know, pretty wise individual and has been with several organizations. He knows that you've got to be able to tie yourself to somebody who you can work with and, and trust, and that's not always been the case uh, for him. So uh, once he got certain assurances about having autonomy, which is a critical issue at the Garden always, it kind of flowed from there. Do you think he has that autonomy? I'm willing to believe it until we see otherwise. You know, and maybe we won't see otherwise. You know, Donnie Walsh came in in 2008 with some promises of autonomy. Now, Donnie Walsh, for all of his accomplishments, and is one of the you know great executives in the NBA of the last three decades. Donnie Walsh doesn't have the same kind of cachet or you know aura about him that Phil Jackson does with those 11 championships, and it's just kind of. Partially, that's Phil Jackson's personality. Partially, it's just the accomplishment itself, the way he carries himself. It's just a lot of things. But Phil's got a presence about him. And I think when Phil Jackson walks in a room, everybody kind of sits up and pays attention. And if he tells you as his potential employer, by the way, this is how I do things, and this is how it has to be done, I don't think you tell Phil Jackson no. If you want him badly enough and you're willing to pay him $12 million a year, then you better let him do it his way and get out of his way. And that's what Jim Dolan has pledged to do. When the question came up in the press conference, hey, Jim, you know, are you willing to cede authority finally? He said willingly and gratefully. Those were the words he used, and I think those were chosen very specifically. He probably had, you know, practiced them for a couple of days knowing that question was coming. So willingly and gratefully. So, you know, the onus is now on Phil to use that authority to its fullest and to do the job and improve the Knicks. The onus is on Jim Dolan to stick by that pledge and I hope it's in writing somewhere in that contract. Um, but it's up to him to stick by it and stay out of the way, not meddle as he has in the past, and let his basketball people do what they do best. It's interesting because Phil Jackson, as a coach, would only take a job where he would have the best player, basically, and you know, and a chance to win an, a, a legitimate chance to win an NCAA or an NBA championship. So now, as they go to the Knicks. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I, that they're years away from that. I mean, there's a lot of work to do here. You know, it's interesting, Tim, because that's the criticism that everybody always comes up with, and it was what Red Auerbach always would needle Phil about. And, of course, Red Auerbach was just concerned that Phil was going to take his record, which he did, um, that Phil somehow always came into ready-made teams. The Bulls were not a championship team when he took them over. He helped get them to that next level. Sure, the talent was there, but they hadn't won anything until Phil Jackson started coaching them. Shaq and Kobe hadn't won anything until Phil Jackson started coaching them. And when Phil left the Lakers in 2004, what the team he came back to eventually was a team that was struggling. So, you know, he has certainly benefited from great players, as all championship coaches have. But I don't think it's entirely true that he's coming into ready-made teams or that he would only come into ready-made teams. Um, you know, I, I do think he's had, had the luxury now of deciding when and where to come back in. And in the case of this team, yeah, there's a lot of work to do on the Knicks roster. But look, he's coming in not as the coach. He's coming in as team president. He's coming in with a different set of challenges anyway. Um, whether the Knicks win a championship during his five-year run or not, it's not going to affect anything. He's got his 11 rings as a coach. He's got his two rings as a player. Phil Jackson's legacy is set. He's already in the Hall of Fame. Whatever he can do on top of this is just is more like a personal accomplishment at this point. Like, let's see if I can do this, let's see what I can do for an organization and whether those skills translate 
but they will have a great opportunity. I mean, a lot of people think that this is coming in to clean up some huge mess like Donnie Walsh did in 2008. In that case, they had a ton of contracts they had to try to unload. In this case, almost the entire roster is expiring in 2015. So we'll see what, whether, uh, whether Carmelo Anthony resigns or not this summer. And then everybody else with a major contract, Tyson Chandler, Amari Stoudemire, Andrea Bargnani, that's uh, you know, 50 or so million dollars worth of contracts are coming off the books in July 2015, and they will have plenty of cap room. So there's flexibility on the horizon, just not a lot of draft picks. And so, really, their their rebuilding mode will start in in earnest that year, or probably next year, because yeah. they will have some expiring contracts. They might right. be able to make a deal or two to pick up some players. What's their draft pick situation like? Well, they don't have a first round pick this June. That pick is going to Denver as the final payment on the Carmelo Anthony deal, which, as I've noted many times before, has cost them a great deal. Um, so that pick is gone, and it's, it's unfortunate because the Knicks, as it stands right now, I don't think they're making the playoffs. It's a tough road to snag that eighth seed. I don't think they're going to get there. The schedule is brutal toward the end for them. So they're going to end up sending a lottery pick to Denver this year. They will have their pick in 2015. I believe their pick in 2016 is gone because that's the one they sent to Toronto for Andrea Bargnani. So, yeah, unfortunately what Phil Jackson's inheriting is a team that you know, is short on picks, doesn't have cap room immediately this summer, but will in 2015. So the, 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 it's a steep task. You know, let's not you know, sugarcoat it at all. But they will have you know, the combination of cap room in 2015, and potentially with Carmelo Anthony still here as a, a first anchor to help attract somebody else. And it is still New York. It is still the Garden. It is still this huge market and an attractive place to be. A lot of players want to be here. And... That's an advantage that they have squandered over the years by never having cap room. And it didn't work to its greatest uh, benefit in 2010 when they wanted to get LeBron James or Dwayne Wade. You know, obviously they, they uh, went for basically their fifth or sixth choice with Amari Stoudemire, and that hasn't worked out that well. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't still, as a New York team, use all the cachet you have and all the cash you have uh, mm-hmm to make the big moves. They'll have that opportunity in 2015, and if, if they do it wisely, they could even have room still in 2016 when Durant will be on the market. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because I, th- I was going to lead you to uh, uh, or ask you about the fact that the, the thing they have in their back pocket is that it's New York, and with that room in, in 2015, they should be able to attract some good talent uh, that they can start building around. Uh, how much do you think Carmelo Anthony is going to factor in, and do you think he will stay because of this? I think that if you're Carmelo Anthony and your choice this summer was looking like sign with the Knicks because you'll get the most money or leave the Knicks because you'll have a better chance to win somewhere else, I think he at least has to rethink now, well, maybe they do have a direction. (laughs) Maybe they do have some hope. You know, Phil Jackson inspires confidence. And, you know, you can still look at the roster and say, you know what, I'm stuck with the same sad cast of characters for next season and it'll be a wasted year. And I think it will, frankly. I think they're going to have a really tough season again in 14-15, and that that alone may be enough to push Carmelo Anthony away. But having Phil Jackson on board at least gives Carmelo Anthony a, a tangible sense that they are trying to change their ways, that they're trying to run this organization a little more uh, smartly, and then they've got one of the best basketball minds of the era running the show. So it gives him something else to think about, I still think that in the you know when he's uh, analyzing 
the landscape in July, he still has to consider, okay, this is the last long-term contract I'm signing as an elite player because he's going to be 30 in May, and it's going to be a four- or five-year deal. Where do I want to tie myself for the rest of my, the prime years of my career, and do I have a chance to change my legacy? Because right now, he's not looked at as a winner. He's looked at as a guy who can score a lot and can't get his team anywhere. Howard, there's been rumors about Steve Kerr uh, being Phil Jackson's first choice as head coach. Do you think that is, is there basis to that? Usually when you hear it enough, there, there's something to it. And if not Steve Kerr, what direction do you think he will go? I think what's happened is that everybody's immediately looking for the Phil Jackson guys who are out there. And we know that Steve Kerr is a really smart guy and has a great relationship with Phil Jackson and has expressed an interest in going into coaching. So it's a natural one for people to gravitate to. I think people are jumping the gun a bit. I think that Phil Jackson's going to look at a bunch of guys. I think that Steve Kerr, frankly, is going to look at a bunch of different situations. From what I've heard, he knows there's going to be other opportunities, uh, potentially this summer, and he's going to look at all of those. So I don't think that it's, it would be a New York-only thing for Kerr, and I don't think it's a Kerr-only thing for Phil Jackson. And you know, one of the things I've said, too, Bill Jackson's uh, an unconventional thinker here. So just when you think he's going to go out and grab the nearest ex-Bowl or ex-Laker or triangle guy, I think it's just as likely that he goes off the board, grabs somebody that we hadn't even considered yet. And it doesn't have to be triangle. It could be a guy who just runs a system. Bill Jackson stresses in his press conference he believes in system basketball, whether that's the triangle offense, the Princeton, or, or anything else. He wants somebody who shares at least that philosophy. Whether it's the triangle specifically, I don't think is paramount. And I do think that Phil Jackson is just going to find somebody who he connects with, who he's comfortable with, whose uh, you know, acumen he respects. Steve Kerr would be a great candidate. But as I say, there are going to be other guys that we just haven't heard of yet. That's Howard Beck of the Bleacher Report. Phil Jackson, of course, team president. Now the New York Knicks will actually see the Knicks. Uh, last game with his five-game homestand that is spread out over a couple of weeks. Howard, I wanted to ask you about another situation. I know you're not covering it on a day-to-day basis, but knowing Kobe Bryant the way you do, where do you think his head is at with what's going on with the Lakers? And also, you know, do you think that they'll have a chance to, to right that ship in time for Kobe to maybe make one more run? I think it was really striking, Tim, that uh, Kobe, when he heard about or when he was asked about Bill's talks with the Knicks, how openly, clearly angry and frustrated Kobe was at the possibility that this was it for good. Now, it's interesting because the Lakers and L.A. in general, they seem to be mourning this whole thing as if they literally lost Phil to New York when they, in fact, lost Phil three years ago. And, you know, they've had every opportunity to bring him back, and Jim Buss didn't want to for whatever reason. So they'd already lost him, but I think this was kind of, this made it real. And for Kobe Bryant, who obviously reveres Phil and won five championships with him, it's just a frustrating sign of where the franchise is now in the, you know, in this era after Jerry Buss's death last year. So, um, look, he signed the two year extension. He's locked in. I don't think they're going to be trading him, uh, say to the Knicks <laughs> or anywhere else. He's the face of the franchise still. And they need him to help attract other guys so that they can build that bridge to the next era, that is the post-Kobe Bryant era. But it's going to be very tough. The number they signed him to is going to make it tough for them to rebuild. Um, they will have cap room this summer, but I don't know that there's anybody out there really to get to, to change where they're headed. I think they're going to probably roll over a lot of that cap room to 2015 so that they can go chase Kevin Love, LaMarcus Aldridge, and Rajon Rondo. 
Howard, before we uh, let you go, question about the Golden State Warriors. It's interesting to me that the Warriors cannot shake their old image. Uh, when we go from town to town and, and uh, over the course of the season, and it's always the high-flying, high-scoring Golden State Warriors. And, and I'll, I'll you know, come in and say, has anyone looked at their offensive numbers? Because this is really <laughs> it's much more of a defensive team. It's a yeah. middle-of-the-pack offensive team this year, but their defense has been outstanding. Yes, they've they've kind of done a complete uh, like you know Freaky Friday or you know they're they're inverted. I mean, they went from being yeah this team that everybody thought was the happy-go-lucky shooting team with no defense to a really great defensive team whose offense somehow uh, misfires way too often. And I, I'm not exactly sure what to attribute the offensive part to. It's great that they've become a great defensive team because that is what will usually get you deeper in the playoffs. And I still think, you know, I'm, I'm still bullish on the Warriors. I mean, they're not that far off the field. And the fact is the Western Conference is just so strong that it makes them look like they're underachieving by comparison. But it's a relative thing. They're still a really strong team. They're not that far out of the rest of the pack. They're unfortunately a little too close to the bottom, um, you know, and, and potentially falling out. I don't think that will happen. But I think their defense, that is most important during the playoffs, much more so than the regular season. And so that gives them a chance to, to make a run, to make a deep run. I think people are underselling them because you know that when they get hot offensively, they're extremely dangerous, and now there's the defense to back it up. Yeah, and I think that's a major reason why they have uh, 21 uh, road wins uh, this year is the fact that their defense has carried them to those wins, not necessarily their offense. No, and, and, and that will be much more key in the postseason. That's our Beck of the Bleacher Report. We thank him for his cooperation today. Always a friend of Warriors Radio. You can see the Warriors take on the Milwaukee Bucks tomorrow night, March the 20th. Arrive early. The first 10,000 fans receive a water bottle and a free smoothie coupon, courtesy of Jamba Juice. Go to warriors.com slash dynamic deal to take advantage of this special ticket offer. I, Tim Roy, will wrap up the Warriors Weekly Roundtable with a look ahead on the schedule on KMBR 680, the sports leader. Golden State Warriors basketball. Draymond goes to work with three, with two. Runner, right hand flip on the rim and down. Draymond Green. We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable. Time now for the upcoming broadcast. Brought to you by Cash Creek Casino Resort tomorrow night. The Milwaukee Bucks make their only Bay Area appearance. Their attack spearheaded by guard Brandon Knight. Garrett Temple on Knight with five seconds to shoot. Knight, an 18-footer. It's up. Got it! Brandon Knight, top of the key. It's another big one. 108-105 bucks. 21 seconds left in the game. The first 10,000 fans receive a water bottle courtesy of Jamba Juice as the Warriors take on the Bucks 7 p.m. with a pregame show on KMBR 680. And then Saturday, the Warriors take on the San Antonio Spurs. It's game three of the home stamp, 7 o'clock with the pregame, as they try to slow down Tony Parker. Green between the circles against Ross. Holding, bounce pass right side, Parker. Driving on Lowry in the lane, lost the handle, tried to get it back, a scramble for it. Parker's got it in the lane, short jumper, good. Tony Parker comes out of the pack with that basketball and scores. He's got 25 and the Spurs lead by 10, 96-86.
Warriors and Spurs next Saturday night, and then five days in a row without a game. The Warriors will be back in action on Friday, March 28th, when they take on the Memphis Grizzlies. We'll have the weekly roundtable again on Wednesday night next week on March 26th, starting at 8 o'clock here on KMBR 680, the sports leader. You can buy your tickets online at warriors.com or by calling one 888 hoop Hi, Tim Roy, thanking everybody connected with our broadcast tonight, thanking Warrior Center Andrew Bogut for his time, as well as Howard Beck of the Bleacher Report. Dave Feldhaus at the controls at KMBR 680. He'll be assisting Ray Woodson, who's taking your calls and comments right now. Dial 808-KMBR. That's 808-KNBR. Thank you, Warriors radio producer R.C. Davis. Remember, don't text him about live events because he does not watch anything in real time. I'm Tim Roy saying good night for the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. We'll talk to you tomorrow with a pregame show. Tom Tobert alongside at 7 o'clock when the Warriors take on the Milwaukee Bucks right here on KBR 680, the sports leader. Golden State Warriors basketball. Stolen by Iguodala. Right to Clay Thompson. Back to Iguodala. One dribble goes to the rim. And he scores with the right hand. For tickets, go to warriors.com. Or call 1-888-GSW-HOOP.